0: Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, Texas. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we welcome persons of all religions, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, and other circumstances, including your commitment to keeping Austin weird. We extend a special welcome to our visitors today. We're glad you're here.
1: As a call to worship, a reading from our hymnal, A Common Destiny, by David Eaton. All living substance, all substance of energy, being, and purpose, are united and share the same destiny. All people, those we love and those we know not of, are united and share the same destiny. Birth to death, we share this unity with the sun, earth. Our brothers and sisters, strangers, flowers of the field, snowflakes, volcanoes, and moonbeams, birth, life, death, unknown, known, unknown, our destiny from unknown to unknown, may we have the faith to accept this mystery and build upon its everlasting truth. This reading is a quote from Sergeant Shriver, who many of you recognize, of course, as the first director of the Peace Corps. It's from a book, A Good Man Rediscovering My Father, by Mark Shriver. Compassion is the ideal, he maintained in a speech at the World's Fair in 1964, that must illuminate from the very center all our efforts to bring a better life to our world, within our country, and in the farthest reaches of the planet. And he went on to say, It is only with the mask of many colors, through the testaments of many religions, through the dust of poverty, or through the disfigurement of disease, and recognize his brother.
0: Today I want to talk to you about Joseph Priestley. And I am uh, thankful for Mr. John Franks, who some weeks ago loaned to me a biography of Joseph Priestley, which I read and became fascinated with his life. Uh, today, of course, like many, uh, John is at General Assembly in Louisville is not with us, and so I thank him in absentia. Joseph Priestley was a scientist, theologian, philosopher, educator, and Unitarian minister. In a 2009 article in UUworld.org, writer Scott Prinster described Priestley as, quote, one of our most committed and influential religious forebears. Most of us remember Priestley from our science class as the man who, quote, discovered oxygen. He did indeed do that, but he also did much, much more priest was born in 1733 in Yorkshire, England, the oldest of six children. When he was six years old or so, his mother died, and so he went to live with a wealthy, childless aunt. He was a precocious young boy, learned Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, and his devout aunt sought the best education available in order to prepare young Joseph for the ministry. After he graduated from the descending academy at Daventry, he accepted positions as minister first in Suffolk and then in Cheshire. In both positions, he opened schools, liberalized the curriculum to place less emphasis on the classics, and taught science, even buying and building his own scientific equipment. He taught his students and began science experiments on his own. In 1765, he met the acclaimed American scientist and diplomat Benjamin Franklin. Franklin was in England as the colonial agent for the colony of Pennsylvania. Franklin's prior experiments and notoriety increased Priestley's interest in the emerging study of electricity. So Priestley began to perform his own experiments, which would lead to him publishing a 700-page history of electricity in 1767. That book would remain the standard text on the history of electricity for 100 years. An odd tree from South America had recently been introduced into Europe. Priestley obtained some sap from that tree and discovered that by rubbing this sap on pencil marks, the marks were erased. He thus called the substance rubber, and the term stuck. Quite by accident, he had discovered the rubber eraser. Among his various experiments, he began to experiment with air. The ancient Greeks had taught that there were four substances, earth, water, fire, and air. By the mid-18th century, the components of air had not yet been isolated or defined. So, using the rays from the sun as a heat source, yes, Dale, he was experimenting with solar energy. And next Sunday, we will celebrate, and I hope you'll be here to celebrate with us, Solar Sunday. So, using the rays from the sun as a heat source, he heated mercuric acid and separated the oxygen, thereby discovering oxygen gas. He later published a six-volume description of his experiments as experiments and observations on different kinds of air. However, he would not always see the importance uh, of his discoveries or effectively expand them. For instance, he traveled to France, met the young chemist Antoine Laurent Lavoisier, and shared his experiments with him. Lavoisier would then expand on Priestley's original discovery. While experimenting with air... Quite by accident, he made one of his great discoveries that would ultimately be of tremendous benefit to all mankind. He would discover carbonated water, the basis of our modern soda industry. In 1767, when he he assumed his duties as minister at Mill Hill Chapel in Leeds, he lived next door to a brewery. Fascinated with the odors that the fermenting beer vats emitted, he discovered what he called... Fixed air. We know it as carbon dioxide. Priestley tried various experiments with the air over the vats and discovered that by pouring water from two cups back and forth, some of the fixed air became mixed with the water. It had a certain fizzle, which reminded him of mineral waters. He had discovered carbonated water, which he called impregnated. He soon issued a pamphlet entitled, quote, Directions for Impregnating Water with Fixed Air. High-sounding, huh? Thinking that this new impregnated water might help combat scurvy on long ocean voyages, the British Navy installed water-impregnating machines on some ships overseen by the ship's medical staff uh, on ships of the British Navy. Creasy would not benefit financially from this discovery. In 1783, however, a German watchmaker and amateur scientist, Johann Jacob Schweppes, patented a method for manufacturing carbonated water, established a company, and today his name is still part of our beverage industry. Had Priestley had the foresight to patent his discovery, today we might be drinking Joseph Priestley's cola-flavored impregnated soda. But that is not what transpired. In other experiments, he discovered carbon monoxide, laughing gas, ammonia, and anhydrous hydrochloric acid. For his renown as a scientist, in 1766, he was elected a member of England's prestigious Royal Society, and in 1773 was awarded the Society's Copley Medal. Priestley was also an innovative and recognized educator. In the various schools he established, he emphasized science, philosophy, and contemporary history. At one of his earliest schools, he became upset with the poor quality of available grammar books. Therefore, he wrote and published his own. The work is considered noteworthy in that it helped standardize English grammar and distance it from Latin. The work was so well received that he was offered a position, and he accepted it, teaching modern languages and rhetoric at Warrington Academy. He wrote several books on educational theory, proclaiming that education should not just look to the past and classics, but rather to future practical needs. One of his books, Lectures on History and General Policy, was used by Yale, Princeton, Brown, and Cambridge Universities. Even here, Priestley created controversy. He called for change, criticizing traditional methods. He taught boys and girls. He stressed the educational needs of the middle class and welcomed the poor. Many felt that this mixing of sexes and classes undermined the social and economic structure of England. However, Priestley was first and foremost a Unitarian minister, and he saw himself primarily in this role all of his life. He was from, from a family of Calvinist Presbyterians, dissenters from the official established Church of England. If you were a dissenter or refused to accept the Anglican Church's 39 articles, you could not hold public office, you could not serve in the British military, or you could not attend Cambridge or, or Oxford universities. You are a second-class citizen. Dissenting churches could not even use the word church. They had to describe their houses of worship by some other name, such as chapel or meeting house. When he was about 16 years of age, Priestley became seriously ill, and this led to a crisis of faith and his questioning of whether or not he had had a personal conversion experience. He came to reject the Calvinism of his family and accept the doctrine which emphasized rational analysis of the world and rational analysis in interpreting the Bible. He rejected the dogma and mysticism of contemporary Christianity, questioned the divinity of Jesus, and stated that no religious belief should contradict scientific knowledge. When he tried to join his local church, he was denied membership due to his beliefs. In spite of his new religious views, he devoted himself for service as a minister, a career he would describe as, quote, the noblest of all professions. He became close friends with the Unitarian minister in England, Theophilus Lindsay. In 1774, Priestley would be instrumental in helping Lindsay establish the first Unitarian church in England, the Essex Street Chapel in London. Priestley was a full-fledged Unitarian and occasionally would preach at the Essex Street Chapel. Between 1770 and 1774, he published three volumes which outlined his religious beliefs and support for this Unitarian philosophy. He continued to retain a theistic outlook, accepting the belief in an unmoved mover or a first cause, resting his theism on an argument from God's design of creation, but rejecting the divinity of Jesus and the virgin birth. He wrote, When we say there is a God, we mean that there is an intelligent designing cause of what we see in the world around us, and a being who was himself uncaused. He published a history on the corruptions of Christianity and a history of early opinions concerning Jesus. Thomas Jefferson would later write, I have read his corruptions of Christianity and early opinions of Jesus over and over again, and I rest on them as the basis of my own faith. In his essays on the first principle of government, he advocated freedom of religion and conscience, arguing that religion was a private matter and that government should have no say in it. He called for religious liberty and the repeal of discriminatory laws, stating, quote, Respect a parliamentary king and cheerfully pay all par- parliamentary taxes, but have nothing to do with a parliamentary god. Religious rights and religious liberty are things of inestimable value. Criticism would be leveled at Priestley for his Unitarian beliefs. He defended his beliefs and wrote, Let us not therefore be discouraged, though for the present we shall see no great number of churches professedly Unitarian. We are, as it were, laying gunpowder grain by grain under the old building of error and superstition. With a single spark, It may hereafter inflame so as to produce an instantaneous explosion, in consequence of which that edifice, the erection of which has been the work of ages, may be overturned in a moment. Priestley was expressing an optimism for the the future of Unitarianism, suggesting that the groundwork was being laid grain by grain, which would one day erupt and blow away old error and superstition. However, Years later, that statement would be used against him, and he would be labeled Gunpowder Joe. After his various tutoring, teaching, and ministerial positions in 1780, at the age of 47, he became minister of the New Meeting House in Birmingham, England. He preached on Sundays, opened a school that soon had 150 students, wrote voraciously, and continued his scientific experiments. Although an outspoken and recognized liberal, for the most part, his early years at Birmingham were happy ones. But controversy built slowly as he challenged existing institutions. He founded a public library. Some objected to to liberal theological books contained there. He delivered a sermon attacking slavery, which some opposed. He supported the American Revolution against his own country, the British. He started an interdenominational Sunday school that welcomed the poor, once again causing many to question this as an attack on the existing social order. In addition, in 1788, King George III had his first bout with insanity. After he recovered temporarily, many now saw any attack on the king or government as expressing disloyalty and showing a lack of patriotism. But Priestley continued his liberal preaching and writing. This was when he published his Corruptions of Christianity and Early Opinions Concerning Jesus. Both works proclaimed that the early Christian church had been corrupted and distorted, drifting away from the original and correct position of Unitarianism. A series of pamphlets denouncing Priestley followed. William Blackstone, the acclaimed legal theorist, proclaimed that opposition to the Church of England should be regarded as a crime and that religious dissenters by definition, could not be loyal British citizens. Many people agreed with him. The final blow would come in 1789 with the beginning of the French Revolution. Pritchard believed that scientific progress would help bring about human progress and saw times as continually getting better and better. And in that light, he interpreted the French Revolution. He wrote, that it would help bring about universal peace and goodwill among all nations and an empire of reason. Tensions between England and France arose. During this time of international crisis and tension, Priestley called once again for the repeal of all discriminatory laws against non-Anglicans. Opponents struck back. The popular press ran cartoons of Priestley, showing him trampling and stomping on the Bible. His old statements were resurrected, and he was labeled that gunpowder joke. In, in January of 1790, a shot was fired by an unknown assailant through a window of his home. Walls in Birmingham were chalked with the phrase, damn priestly. He had become the most hated man in Britain, standing in the minds of many against the established church, attacking the king, even supporting the enemies of the nation. Parliamentarian leader Edmund Burke wrote a pamphlet called Reflections on the Revolution in France, which condemned the French Revolution, mob rule, and British supporters of the French Revolution, such as Priestley. A pamphlet war saw the publication of approximately 200 pieces from the two sides. In the midst of these heated times, English supporters of the French Revolution did not back down. They planned a celebratory dinner for the second anniversary of the storming of the Bastille, Uh, which had taken place in July of 1789, so July of 1791, they planned this dinner. Priestley would not attend. Nevertheless, on the night of the dinner, a drunken mob of several hundreds arrived at the hotel where the dinner was being held, only to find that the diners, having heard of potential violence, had met early and were already gone, so no one was there. After breaking the windows at the hotel, this drunken mob then proceeded to Priestley's church, the new meeting house, and burned it down. They burned another dissenting church and headed to Priestley's home. Priestley and his family fled, and the mob screamed, Down with the dissenters! God save the king! They torched Priestley's laboratory and burned his home down. The Birmingham riots lasted for several days. More buildings were destroyed. Ten to fifteen rioters died in burning and collapsing buildings. All businesses in Birmingham were suspended. Many were arrested for the riots, two were eventually hanged. Priestley himself had fled to London where he took refuge in the home of Unitarian minister Theophilus Lindsay. Upon hearing the news of the Birmingham riots, King George III stated, quote, I cannot but feel better pleased that Priestley is the sufferer for the doctrines he and his party have instilled and that the people see them in their true light. Creasy would then write a letter to the people of Birmingham. Creasy was a perpetual optimist and wrote that he was shocked about the violence against him. He said, quote, I was far from expecting the injuries which I and my friends have lately received from you. However, he did recognize that his religious views had been one of the causes, and so he questioned the people of Birmingham, asking, Can you think that such conduct as yours offers any recommendations of your religious principles and preference to ours. Priestley remained in England for three more years, but was increasingly marginalized and rejected. Old friends, even in the scientific community, deserted him and refused to have anything to do with him. He received hate mail and his image was burned in effigy and public demonstrations. He did receive a teaching appointment to New College in Hackney, but increasingly his focus and writing turned to the Christian concept of the millennium, that potential thousand-year period of peace and tranquility. However, he envisioned a new beginning, a utopian society in America. He and investors committed to purchase 300,000 acres in western Pennsylvania. So in 1794, at the age of 61, Priestley and his wife Mary sailed for America settling near Northumberland, Pennsylvania. Although some of the 300,000 acres did sell and a few supporters followed, the utopian community planned by Priestley never materialized. He met President George Washington and renewed an old friendship with John Adams. who was offered a chair in chemistry at the University of Pennsylvania, but he turned it down. He bought, came, uh, bought cattle and became a fairly wealthy farmer. After about two years in, uh, in Pennsylvania, however, his wife of 34 years passed away. Priestley traveled to, to Philadelphia in 1796 where he felt, helped found the first Unitarian church in America. When he became ill in 1801, then President Thomas Jefferson would write to him and say, quote, Years is one of the few lives precious to mankind and for the continuance of which Every thinking man is solicitous. Bigots may be an exception. At 70 years of age, he was still writing, working on his last book, Jesus Compared to Socrates. On February 6, 1804, the fine letters to the manuscript were read back to him. He objected to some portions, portions which he said were not his words, but the words of his scribe. After the changes were made and read back to him again, he smiled and said, that is right. I have done now. Within an hour, he passed away. Former President John Adams commented This great, excellent, and extraordinary man, whom I sincerely loved, esteemed, and respected, was really a phenomenon, a comet in the system. So, what do we make of Joseph Priestley and his life? The scientist, educator, and Unitarian minister. Britannica Encyclopedia Online says it previously was a, quote, English clergyman, political theorist, and physical scientist whose work contributed to advances in liberal political and religious thought and experimental chemistry. Our poster in the foyer shows him as one of our hundred famous Unitarian Universalists. Under the portrait are two words, scientist, minister. I think he would have liked for those words to have been reversed. Today, his home in Northumberland, Pennsylvania, is a National Historic Landmark. There, for the past 20 years, they'd have summer history classes for elementary-age school children. This year's theme is Everyday Life with the Priestleys. Two colleges are named after him, Priestley College in Warrington and Joseph Priestley College in Leeds. Dickinson College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, annually awards a Priestley Award discoveries which contribute to the welfare of mankind. The church which he helped found in Philadelphia, the first Unitarian Church of Philadelphia, is still there. On its website, it states the following. On June the 12th, 1796, 20 of Philadelphia's intellectual leaders formed the first Unitarian Society of Philadelphia. We were the first continuously functioning church in the country to proclaim itself Unitarian. The founders were directed and encouraged by the Unitarian minister, Joseph Priestley. The website further goes on to list its ministers, and under its ministerial history, it shows Joseph Priestley, 1796-1807. Today, one of our UUA districts is named after him. The Joseph Priestley district includes 70 congregations scattered from Virginia to New Jersey. Although a victim of religious and political intolerance, Joseph Priestley continued his life's work. One writer has said he was perhaps the most prominent victim of the intolerance manifested by the supporters of the established order in the 1790s. Unfortunately, such intolerance has not been banished from among us in the over 200 years since Priestley's death. We still see numerous instances a political, racial, national, sexual, and religious intolerance today. The Texas legislature begins its sessions with a moment of prayer. And as most of you would know, I think, in the closing days of this year's session, an interesting uh, prayer occurred. One minister had prayed, quote, Father, I pray especially that each member of the Senate here, each member of their family, Father, would come to a lively faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That contrasted to the House of Representatives a few days later when State Representative Donna Howard, a Unitarian Universalist, called for a moment of silence. Quote, while we individually look to whatever source we choose and invoke guidance and inspiration. One member tweeted, First Sunday session for House this session, and we gavel in with godless invocation." This past week, the Food Network dropped personality Paula Deen for using racial slurs. The murder trial of George Zimmer, Zimmerman, accused of killing unarmed teen, black teenager Trayvon Martin, began in Florida. When the Boy Scouts of America announced that they would accept openly gay boys into the Scouts, three Austin-area churches withdrew their, withdrew their sponsorship of Scout troops. We must seek to forever banish such intolerance and all of its forms from among us. We must do it individually, and we must do it collectively. Precious was also able to meld his religious beliefs with his faith in science. Although a scientist, he remained a Unitarian Christian. He saw no uh, contradiction between the two. Some today do, denouncing basic scientific theories such as evolution and evidence of global warming. Last year, the Gallup poll reported that only 15% of Americans believed in creation without divine intervention. 32% believed in some form of theistic evolution, and 46% of Americans believed in creationism. Earlier this year, the Gallup poll in a survey concerning global warming reported that 69% of Americans believe that there is solid evidence that the earth is warming. That is down from 77% in 2006. In these areas, I agree with Joseph Priestley. Our beliefs should not slap science in the face. Priestley was once described by Benjamin Franklin as an honest heretic. Franklin stated, quote, Tis his honesty that has brought upon him the character of heretic. Oh, that we would live our lives. As such honest heretics. Joseph Priestley was a man of his time and a man we should remember, honor, and emulate in ours. May it be so. In the spirit of Joseph Priestley, go forth, explore, discover, challenge, do good, even as the world. Needed Joseph Priestley, it needs us today. This
1: is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.